Full Service Radio programming is available on our website, fullserviceradio.org, and as a podcast, thanks to Simplecast. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. This is the Dolcezza Sherbert Experience. We are live from the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. I am Violeta Edelman. We own Dolcezza Gelato with my partner in crime. Rob Duncan, Dolcezza Gelato. And we're here today with Eric Hilton. He's the co-founder of Thievery Corporation. He's also a local restaurateur. Um, and we first discovered thievery back in the late 90s, early 2000s when we ran into um, a copy of the debut album, um, Thievery, now sounds from Thievery Hi-Fi, um, and fell in love with the ambient, trippy sound of that album. We were really into the Tosca sound at the time, Kruder and Dorf Muster. Vienna, Austria sound, yes. the smoke, the dub, amazing, amazing. So two decades later... You guys um, have sold several million albums. You have been nominated for Grammys, perform all over the world. And you own also a bunch of um, restaurants and bars that revitalize areas here in Washington, D.C. that were abandoned. So um, not bad at all, Eric. (laughs) Well, everyone who knows me knows I'm a busybody and I'm always doing something. Um, So I I have two careers. Uh, I just couldn't decide between the two. So... uh, they say don't quit your day job when you get into music, and I didn't. Um, so I stayed in the hospitality business as well. You're one of the few that probably could have yeah, quit maybe. your day job, though. <laughs> I, I probably could have, but uh, I don't know. I'm such a cautious person that I like the hedge. <laughs> <laughs> just in case. I, I want two careers, just in case. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, Eric, I want, I want to go back to the beginnings. I know you grew up in Rockville, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Rockville is a suburb of Washington, D.C., so... Can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing and how did you get into music and how did you get into local culture? Well, I think I got into music um, from listening to WHFS when it was in Bethesda, Maryland, which it was 102.3 and it was very freeform radio. I don't think they had program directors. The DJs could play whatever they want, sort of the golden age of radio. And... um, I heard some songs that I liked. They were playing a lot of new wave music at the time. This is around 1979, 1980. And uh, I was probably 14, I don't know, 15. And I decided I'm going to go into D.C. and buy some records. So I got on the T2 bus, and it took an hour, and it dumped me off at DuPont Circle, and I didn't know where I was. And I started looking around, and I found record stores. And I spent all the money I had on records and even cassette tapes back then because you know course, they were more convenient tapes. at the time yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah i just uh it was a explore explorative venture awesome and then um let's jump to 95 that's when you opened the 18th street lounge and you met rob garza and you created theory corporation so 18th Street Lounge is a moody salon with velvety couches with a hidden entrance in the DuPont Circle neighborhood that Rob and I absolutely love. We went there so many times. Before there was so much going on in DC. Now there's a lot happening. That was like one of the few 
things cool that you could actually do in DC back in the day. We're talking so, like a decade ago. Plus. Tell me about that moment of inception, though. That you know, there was so much going on. You recorded your first album there, met your partner. You know, mm-hmm. there's so much energy at the beginning of something. It definitely was and still is a place of a lot of creative force. Um, I had two partners that I still have, uh, Farid Ali and uh, Yama Juwaini. And Farid and I were throwing warehouse parties at the time. And it was fun, but so much work. And you'd have to secure a space. And, you know, they were all illegal. So there was always those challenges. And we'd make a lot of money one night. And then we wouldn't have a party for two months. And it was getting frustrated. So we, our, we dreamed of opening our own club. And Yama actually found the space. Yama of Dakaya, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He found Dakaya the space. Dakaya is a restaurant in Washington, D.C. for everyone out there. Yeah. That is amazing. Ramen. Katsuya and... Exactly. He has a new career in Japanese food. Yama yeah, yeah. loves Japanese food. Another one with food and music yeah. in, in his veins. Yeah. yeah, and Yama was sort of the, the front man of 18th Street Lounge. He was... Uh, we, he didn't really have a role other than shaking hands and hanging out because Freed and I DJ you know, we, we were the original DJs there That's and awesome. Yama was sort of the master of ceremonies hospitality guy and he's perfect for that too yeah yeah, he's good um, so anyway we found that space and it was just a beautiful space and it was so cheap at the time I think there was like some real estate depression in the mid 90s in DC and I mean I think our original rent was like $5,000 on that space am I Correct. Doesn't that house or that space have something to do with Roosevelt? It, yeah, it did. Actually, it's funny because it, it's not Teddy Roosevelt's former home. He lived around the corner, but we we made a mistake and said that it was, and then everyone got ah, so excited about it. Funny. We never corrected the mistake. Fake news. Yeah. It was actually that's what Rob ad, does. It was Rob an, is an specialist of creating myths he, yeah. about his life oh. and not correcting them. I kind of like that. Because people want to believe it. Oh, you know? it's the, what is it called? That's the, the, the gist or the, the gimmick. Yeah. The gimmick. People love gimmicks. You know? It's true. They love but the, the amazing thing about that, that house is that it was really a residence, which is insane because it was probably a 10,000 square foot residence. I think an admiral lived there, some very yeah. high ranking. The residences admiral. here in the city are amazing. Yeah, the there, houses are, there are definitely history. some incredible ones. Yeah. So you ended up recording your first record inside ESL. Um, what's the story behind we that? We recorded it in the liquor slash storage room. So okay. it wasn't even a studio. We just put a bunch of equipment in there and had some speakers and headphones and kind of laced it up. And uh, we then released it on, well, first we did vinyl singles and they all sold out. And we went, man, this is incredible. And then we did 5,000 CDs and they sold out and we just kept recycling and the money and printing more and it just never stopped. It was amazing. It was very homegrown. And that way you built a very successful career and without really, you know, any radio hits or the backup of any major label, you ended up creating your own label. So that is the definition of being an independent artist, and it's so fucking hard in the self, music industry. Self-made, so that's um, so especially few. now. Yeah, oh, it's now, really hard. Like, well, it's a different yeah. landscape now than when you came came up. I like doing to this. Uh, tell people that the average age of a profitable touring musician is 54 years old. <laughs> so that that tells you something. That means all the legacy artists are making you know money on the road. And but when you see these bands coming to the small clubs and stuff, they're really I mean they're doing it out of 
pure love because right. there's no Money. economics for them. You know what? Uh, the sensation that I always have now is um, with everything being online and, and everything being exposed and connected. There's so it seems like that there's so much good stuff out there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there, the, at the same time, I say that I there's most of it's there's a lot of mediocrity, and oh, there's yeah, very sure. few gems and and all of that. But there, it's now that you have a platform where everybody can get their stuff out and, mm-hmm. and, and exposed and shared with people. You hear so much music that you wouldn't typically hear, yeah. and there is some really good stuff out there. It's true. I, I l- used to like to rely on filters and tastemakers, which I find harder. I, I find it harder to find them now. You know, like there used to be magazines like Straight Now there is an algorithm in your phone yeah. that, that reads your mind right. and tells yeah. you what you like and exactly. what you don't. Yeah. Go Bing. buy and this. And you keep you like know? in that loop. I You're know you were searching for patio furniture. <laughs> oh, it's slowly <laughs> yes. happening. We're all, it's all yeah. taken over, you know, yeah. the, the machine. So well, what People do you... are becoming more aware of that too, that they're getting played. And I yeah. like that. Yeah. I think everyone is waking up to the fact that you know they're they're getting used a little bit well yeah yeah i i hope so there's that that's happening and there's also the the other that's happening as far as everybody market taken taken away by the Mm -hmm. flow and um peddled down yeah to the marketplace was it an independent well being an independent was it um a decision that you made early on and you were conscious of it that it became like an organic path oh we were we were very conscious of it uh growing up in this area i was very into discord records and so was rob and they were our model for our record label. Um, they never really dealt with major labels, and they avoided it at all costs, and we did too. And, and that's, like, I, I find it inspiring because, you know, we own a small gelateria, but the shiny objects that come around you when you it's have fame. It's not small and, anymore. No, but what I mean is, you know, <laughs> the distractions, the, yeah. the, the, the opportunities and the distractions mm. are constant. And, yeah. and so just oh, yeah. that focus of remaining true to yourself, which is... Equals to being independent to me. Um, it's remarkable. So it's, you know what? Uh, With that being said, what is then? What is your way, secrets, um, techniques of staying true to your path when all the shiny objects um, show themselves to you? You know, I mean, is there? Is there? I just I, do stuff I like. Yeah, I, I feel well, like that's a that's a good one. I rely yeah. on my own filter. And yeah, I trust it, and at. Even if, if someone else doesn't like it, at least I like it. Yeah. So I think if you're an artist and you're in an artistic venture and even a commercial venture and, and making gelato is, a, is an art as well. Yeah. And you have to like the gelato you're selling. You have to like the music you're making. And if you don't, then if you don't believe in it. A hundred percent. That's what I tell. That's like easy peasy yeah. to do it that way. And I think the thing that keeps people from that being an easy way of just following your gut is like maybe not really knowing thyself and mm-hmm. what is what's what your gut feel you know so it's easier to be to go along with the shiny objects if you don't really have like a connection with that like truly what is it that you want it's you know? true and then also you become a very annoying person which i can yeah. be because yeah. everyone who works with me knows i have strong opinions same here <laughs> we are very yeah. opinionated. and you have you have to be yeah. and, and there's a process of being comfortable with the one that has a um a, a room of 10 and you're the one you're the only one with this um opinion of which way to go and it's mm-hmm. against the flow and that, that you have to be kind of strong within that, and obviously not an asshole, but mm-hmm. saying, "Look, this I really believe in this, and this we gotta go yeah. this way." You so. have to have that passion, and you, it, 
also you just have to make decisions a yeah. lot of people just have a hard time making decisions my god the amount of decisions that are made all we're the time we're exhausted we're well, making decisions all the time sometimes there's the flows but yeah. yeah at a certain point that's all you're really doing is making decisions making all decisions yeah. and are you making the right decision mm. and that's like the dilemma of my life one bad decision yeah. can really uh, mess it up you know mm-hmm. especially if you have like a a uh, brick and mortar shop and you open up a a, a, a dud that right. doesn't sell that could take you know, you're a small business that could sink the ship yeah i've heard another entrepreneur um refer to it as like a sick child it's like if you have five kids but one is sick it's like everything deposit goes that. towards that child yeah. you know and it, it it's really Taxing. something when you have you know whatever 10 how, how many gelaterias and one is maybe needs a little work you know you're going to devote all your attention to that one yeah yeah it's so a hard a, thing to navigate another very very difficult thing to do is to be successful in the electronic music for 25 years so um how do you stay relevant how do you stay fresh i, I have no idea i really don't i, I always say that thievery grew like a bonsai tree you know it's strong our fan base is really strong they you know we are I think to a lot of our fans, their favorite group, which is, yeah, I mean, amazing to me. I, I feel so lucky in that way. But um, I just think we, we were consistent with our music. I mean, we definitely do a lot of different styles of music, and we have a lot of freedom to experiment with different genres. But generally, we don't release albums that aren't good. And usually, you know, over a 10-album cycle of a band, a few of them are going to be total duds. You know, and I don't think we've ever done that. So, but that's my opinion. I just want to remind everyone that we are at the Line Hotel. At the you're listening to the Tetsa Sherber Experience, and we're here with Eric Hilton. He's the co-founder, another half of Theory Corporation. He's also a local restaurateur. And I think we're going to take a short break, and we're going to be back in two minutes. Full service radio. 
Welcome back to the Dolcezza Server Experience. I'm here with my husband, Rob Duncan. Uh huh. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> Thank you. What in a case, cute couple. In case you didn't remember. <laughs> oh, yeah, and we are with Eric Hilton. Um, he is the other half of Theory Corporation, and he also owns a lot of bars and restaurants here in Washington, D.C. Um, if you guys haven't been to a Thievery Corporation performance, which is, I feel like, a rite of passage in Washington, D.C. 100%. Um, Amazing. I, yes. Um, it's basically this incredible, you know, ride with an entourage of musicians from all over the world. Live instrumentation. I mean, they bring in the sitar player, the mm-hmm. the, 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 the What's the girl? The Brazilian girl? Oh, that's Karina. Karina. She's in Brazil full-time now, yeah, so yeah. she doesn't tour with Well, that us. was the last show. That tells yeah. you how far, <laughs> yeah, right. how long oh, it's yeah. been since she's Bielenta fantastic. Just great, like, great just performer. Amazing yeah. musicians in their own right come in and collaborate so, with so you guys. So basically, guys, you go, like Rob was saying, you, you, you are in India, you know, floating with the sitar music, and then the next thing is like you're jumping to reggae beats, and the next thing is that like you're listening to this French sensual mm-hmm. singer, and um, I just... Like when, when you started this, I just wonder, was it just you and Rob and your machines? And then it became this ensemble? And, and how was this process of um, becoming this incredible entourage of um, world musicians? Well, I, it just happened step by step. I think uh, the first record we made, Sounds from the Thievery Hi-Fi, was literally just me, him, and machines. And a lot of samples, um, a little bit of keyboard playing, bass playing, and... But it was, um, I mean, all the machines could have fit right on this table, you know, like three by four space. Um, it was very simple. And then as you progress, you just want to try new things. Like, hey, let's add horns to this song. Let's, uh, let's try some more vocal songs. Let's meet some singers. Uh, I met Lulu, uh, who's done so many songs with us now. She was a waitress at Trist. And, uh, Love trees. Constantine. One yeah. of the first coffee That's, shops here in DC. Talk guys. about old school. It's like ESL. Yeah, yeah it was great. And she was uh, dating Roots, who was uh, somebody I knew for a long time. Roots yeah. and Z were sort of the first guys to ever perform with us. Roots and Z were CI, right? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. where AJ Wilhelm, yeah. who's like, right. there's been such a. AJ has been present in almost every single one of our shows. Oh, from that's Alex, cool. Alex Goldstein and yeah. from the fridge, yeah, yeah. Nice. fridge, and then the, who was um, Ben Ashworth and Anthony sure. Smallwood? Oh, yeah. It's like AJ is like somewhere hover. Yeah. We have to have AJ on the show. Sometime. We have to. That's great. So so, so basically, it evolved into like, hey, friends, come and play with us. Mm-hmm. And but but it seems to me that nowadays, right? Um, it it's very well curated. So so talk to me about the process of you know um, putting together the show. And do you guys improvise at all? We do very little improv- improvisation on stage. Um, it's pretty hard to actually rec- recreate our sound on stage. That's why we have all the live musicians, because it makes it more interesting. But when we record a song, we might have 48 tracks running, you know, which is a lot. And uh, you can't Damn. really recreate all of that live. So, of course, we use like backing tracks. We put stuff, we used to put stuff on CDs, like beats and things. and. We'd, like one of us would rock the beats, another one would play keyboards, and then everyone else would play. But now we have like a live drummer, so we have, you know, that laced in with the beats that we use, and um, it's pretty intricate. It requires a lot of people. For like forty-eight like tracks, like layers of music. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, everything's in stereo, right? So you right. could have just your conga track will be two tracks, and then right. it goes on and on. You wow. Know? We just 
got complex in our production over time. And so then evolution. now we're kind of breaking it down a little bit too. So, huh. so, so this international spirit that it's, you know, it's part of theory and it's, um, it, it's noticeable in the musicians, but also in the people that go to your concerts and in the music influences, is that something that you were always interested in? Well, for me, that was one of the most interesting things about living in D.C. was it was so multicultural and still is. And um, the lounge really embodied that. I think 18th Street Lounge, the crowd itself, I mean, it was just like the United Nations. I mean, it was incredible. And um, even our staff, and we had a waitress from Bulgaria. We had a Greek bartender. We had a Romanian immigrant who had just come to the country and, like, landed on our doorstep and on and on and on. And... It, um, It, it, that was just the ethos of the lounge and still is and it really carried over to Thievery Corporation music I mean as well. and beyond just I guess the fact that you have staff that's from all over the world and all that but I, when I would go back in the day it always reminded me of these um, European clubs kind yeah, of underground sure. always because yeah. back in college I would just go backpack all through Europe and I was really into Kruder and Dorfmeister and everything from Vienna so I would go into the what is it the G7 oh G-Stone G-Stone yeah, um, recording studio yeah. and I would sit there and just oh, wow. for hours and just listen put headphones on and listen to the music in there and it reminded the the 18th street lounge really had that that feel that only the ones who knew that it was there would end up there yeah with no that, sign it, that was upstairs. by design yeah that yeah. was Farid's idea I remember um being out on the street and talking about sign this that and he said no no sign oh said, that's a yeah. dream of mine exactly. that's a dream been trying to get away with I no fight sign. the family yeah, oh, every yeah. single dolcetta and like like to not have a sign but i always yeah. lose that one i mean the next I, I, one i know you have to be practical <laughs> yeah. it's a different thing than yeah spinning music but we were just talking about like our next venture with no oh, yeah, sign but i don't want to mention so, that here okay it might happen yeah. who the hell knows something something um, down the road <laughs> eric in 2008 you guys released um radio which is your most political album mm -hmm. um, and that was the end of the Bush era That's, that was during the Obama election mm -hmm. um, things have changed a lot but it's a very politically charged city so I wanted to ask you about you know, what changes have you seen in the city with the new administration and has that affected yeah. you as an artist? I feel like things appear to change but really don't change that much and I'm starting to become a little bit immune to politics in general because I've seen a lot in my day um, uh, I don't know if you guys know Moose the DJ um, he moved to Chicago he's a very good DJ um, huh, Daniel Moose he, anyway he was back here at the Kennedy Center for something and I went and he said you know I, I don't miss DC anymore because all of my friends have the Trump flu <laughs> And he said, everyone's just sick, you know, here. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah, yeah people are just bummed. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's it, if, you, if you can't, like, make yourself happy, it'll bum you out, 100%. too. 100%. You know? we, we talk about yeah. that a lot. A whole lot. I mean, and, yeah. I, and, and um, with that, being in D.C. on the front row. So, I mean, you know, it, there, is a, uh, right. there is an obvious reason for that. When you're closer to the signal that's being transmitted, you're more affected by it. But... In the whatever it's been year and a half since the new election, there's been this thing of at first it was we were very first tuned we cry in. For days well, and days. Well, no, we were very yeah. tuned in to see kind of mm. everything you know that was going down and was happening, and it would start it started making us go crazy. Yeah, I mean that that and so we've just really we've we've 
so far been found a way of tuning out but mm-hmm. staying informed which is so important to i i mean blood pressure wise there's a difference yeah. i mean i mean i have friends that they will claim that their life is ruined or something now. Right. and i was like wait a minute the world is beautiful my yeah, friend so- and you know you got to get you got to get on with yourself you know yeah. and and yes it's not good you don't you know it, i mean we would prefer somebody else but We're not in Syria. Exactly. You know, you're not you're not getting, you know, shelled and you're not, you know, you're not starving and and you can move if you want, you know. I mean there are beautiful places on planet Earth you can go and and things will change. Things and this is the natural cycle. There is it goes up and down, in and out, you know. And so that we're just in one of those which I mean, it is a very interesting time right now, mm-hmm. just in general, not only with um, the fact that Trump is president. There's a lot of stuff, even technologically speaking, and what the Internet, as of 10 years ago, um, and everybody having a smartphone in their pocket, mm-hmm. things are being rewritten at a fundamentally bedrock level of it's reality that is fascinating yeah. right now. That's yeah. really, I would equate it to right now, what is happening with us in 2018 mm-hmm. is similar to when we as life decided to leave the oceans and said, hey, I think I'm going to go on land. Yeah. And everybody around you looks at, what the fuck are you going to go on land for? We're right. in the water and that's all we've ever known. Yeah. But I'm going to go on land. Right. So life left the ocean and went to land and here we are yeah. millions and billions of years later having this so conversation. Are we, where are we going now? Like into the chips? Or you know, I, I, well, I have, <laughs> the, the, uh, the honest answer is like, I have no idea. Yeah. But I can, um, yeah. you know, the, the fascinations of the, the merger of the machine and um, or the technical with the organic. I mean, it's ve- you know the other night uh, in the last month I was out on my back deck, kind of doing what I, we were mm-hmm. talking about yeah. before, mm-hmm. blowing our minds, yeah. smoking beautiful cannabis, and had this realization of when when the technology brings us to the point of being able to virtually create a digitally a digital technology that is as real as this reality right here which is the holodeck on star mm-hmm. trek it's not a new idea or anything and we are we are coming to that point with now um virtual reality and the the computer graphics getting better all the time when we're able to create a digitally created reality as real as this mm. that the the implications of that then all of a sudden when i when i um thought about that it's like well what makes that what makes this right here not that? Right. I mean, what makes this... And, you know, there's been a lot of that talk in science. Like, this is a simulation, a computer right. simulation, which I don't put mm-hmm. much um, yeah. thought into. I, I mean, is our physiology going to be prepared for that? Right. Because, you know, people are very overwhelmed. I mean, I'm overwhelmed by technology completely. Yeah. I, I mean, everyone who knows me knows I don't have email on my phone. It takes yeah. me days to get back to people on email. I'm text way. is a little bit better, but even text sometimes will take the whole day just because I don't like shifting my focus so many times throughout the day. It's it so really, true. Sounds it like it a hurts. very healthy yeah, approach. Yeah, yeah. It's so true. Yeah. I mean, and that, that whole thing, it's like just recent that that's come, um, that's a part of our reality now mm-hmm. because of the internet, because of the smartphone that is the computer camera you're supposed to be always available always that's the expectation and i'm so midnight why you didn't answer your email i'm so anti that i I say all the time i become more and more analog every Mm -hmm. day because of the as a response to the to the kind of the new reality everybody connected all the time the twit the the tweets and this and that's like right I have I have no um, not much patience for that. Mm. But on the other hand, our kids are completely burst on it, and that's all they know. Well, yeah, we have a, we have our, we're the la- 
last generation that's one foot analog, one foot mm -hmm. digital. Our kids now, they're 100%. They're the first generation ever to be born into this. It's, re it's really it, fascinating. It is fascinating. So and the, there are a lot of positives about it, too. 100%. You know? I mean, We're more connected yeah. on a way. Well, right. But yeah. then you need to establish the human connection. Mm -hmm. Which is what? Well, whatever our opinions it on it and whatever we think where it's going, the one thing that is for sure is there's nothing you can do about it. It oh, is no. happening yeah, yeah. with a vengeance everywhere, all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's definitely where we're going. And the future definitely right. is wired, you know, and connected and digital and uploaded. And, mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a really um, deep speculation to think about where is this all leading to. But I, I think that it's, it's impossible to see yeah that's how radical it is it's like being in the womb and telling that little fetus you're going to be a stockbroker in new york someday it's like what the fuck are you talking yeah, about right. that's yeah. where we're at right now i yeah. think we're like in this area where you can't see where this is going to there's a lot of speculation mm -hmm. but it's hard to tell yeah because it's so deep eric i want to talk about food <laughs> yeah because i'm hungry okay. now well, I'm, I'm um, a little hungry myself. but first i want to remind everyone that you are listening to the Tessa sugar experience we are live from the line hotel and we're here with eric hilton um, restaurateur and half of the thievery corporation electronic duo um so you are a restaurateur you own a I don't know, a dozen restaurants and bars. I'm more of a saloon keeper, I think. Saloon uh, keeper sounds so much better. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we do have one keeper. very good restaurant that I can't even take credit for because it's the chef, Brendan Latois at Chez Billy Sud, who's so good. Yeah, so I think that's where uh, my stepsister got married, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. I yeah, love that place oh, so much. I love Chez Billy Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I, but you, when you started this whole thing with your brother... Um, you, what you did was going to abandoned buildings in emerging areas and mm -hmm. revitalize them. Um, so talk to me about this process of finding these new pockets and transforming them into destinations. Well, I think the one that kind of confounded me the most was the 930 club area. It just, um, it, it was so bizarre that there were so many abandoned buildings around the most popular live music club in DC. It just seems so weird. And we just, one by one, leased them up, found them, and you know, did stuff. And we thought that neighborhood should be better than it is. And I guess we were about a, a year ahead of JBG or something like that. And then all of a sudden they start building these giant buildings. I'm like, oh, I guess we guessed right here. You know? So I remember going to um local 16th on U Street that we really liked, one of the first places you opened. I even remember going to a sushi place that you guys opened. Dragonfly. Dragonfly. Yeah, yeah one fun. of the first sushi places. Oh, I didn't realize that was, that was, that was the one on Connecticut Avenue, yes. kind of yes. across from 18th. I didn't realize that was you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, it wow. always felt cool. very ahead of the time. Yeah, um, Dragonfly was really special in the early days and we made a mistake. We expanded and put a second floor on it. Uh, expansion's a bitch. <laughs> Lessons um, learned. But I think um, the one that actually was, you know, kind of um, a super boom was Marvin. Um, this is a Belgian-style restaurant bar that you open on the corner of 14th and U. And, and it, it really changed the 14th Street corridor, which nowadays is a hub of the city for mm -hmm. retail and restaurants. And, and after opening Marvin, which became a destination for, you know, young 
um, White House, Obama White House people was, were going there, all the cool kids in the city. And, and then you opened a bunch of other places around and everybody was like, what are you doing? You know, you're, yeah. Are you cannibalizing on your own places? And right. no, you were creating a destination that nowadays is, is booming. So, so again, was that something that you were thinking about? How did that all happen? I think just in general, I feel like the pace of change in D.C. is sometimes too slow. I feel like I, I do like, I mean, I love cities. I love uh, when you go to, I don't know, great cities of the world. They, they, they're just so inspiring and there's so much going on. And um, I guess I've always been trying to kick D.C. in the ass a little bit. Same here. And um, I want more people to start kicking it in the ass because <laughs> my foot's getting tired. But, you know, um, Sounds like know. your brother's just, foot's I, getting going, right? Yeah, he, he's he's really going, and uh, he's keeping me busy. Good. Um, otherwise, I would have slowed down a few years ago. But no time. Yeah. We all need a brother. Yeah. Um, even if it's from another mother. <laughs> I was, gonna, I was I have about a bunch to go of those there. Too. Uh, so you lived and recorded in mm. the same area, um, U Street, Nine Thirty Club. Um, you had the Montserrat House. You still have it, right? It's, yeah, that's it's, You the record your, your studio. Yeah. Um, so, so what what is that place? Tell me more about that's it. And what the, does it mean to you? That's where Sarah and Sheila got started, right? Yeah. Gordy's pickles. There's so many things right happening in that place. Yeah. Didn't yeah. Moby had like a concert at one point? An acoustic uh, little. Yeah, Moby yeah. was there. Um, a lot of a lot of groups were there. Um, Famous ones, uh, names escape me at the moment. But, <laughs> That's you know, what we love about you. There were a lot of cool parties. Don't get there. hung up. I'm on sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're we're actually kind of reactivating the gallery space. Um, we have a new label called uh, Montserrat Music, and I have a, a project with uh, Gian Maria Conti. Uh, it's more of a kind of. Uh, vintage synthesizer project so that's the first release on the new label but we're going to do a lot of other things so um, and we're going to have these funding parties so they're going to be kind of interesting you can come you can hear the record that's being made and you will of course donate and it's sort of like a GoFundMe, but in person oh, wow. and you get some cocktails and some hors d'oeuvres and hang and have a nice party and we'll do one for each project that we're working on so, that's cool. Uh, and of course, you'll get a free analog. record when it comes out. Too. Oh, that's okay. great. Yeah, so I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And this wow. is supporting new musicians or musicians yeah. who need some help or, you know, the local scene. How is the local music scene in D.C.? I think it's actually pretty good these days. It's probably better than it has been in a, in a long time. Um, the whole specter of, you know, Discord records and Fugazi is, is a tough one, you know, because everyone Left its mark. looks back on it as so great. But uh, bad brains. Yeah, bad brains for sure. Who they I think they used to practice on Calvert Street right down here. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, but anyway, it's you know, those those are tough legends to, you know, contend with. But, yeah. Um, there, there is some really good music going on in D.C. And mm-hmm. like Odyssey, the rapper, I don't know if you've heard. Yeah, he's extremely good. We're yeah. we're a little bit out. Yeah. <laughs> we're at home with three kids, yeah. you know. It's like it's like we're lucky if we yeah, get out yeah. to dinner to once a month. I totally yeah. understand. We listen to the kids Have screaming and Odyssey. yelling yeah. and create our own soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why we invite guests like yeah, yeah. you to okay. inform us yeah. and to so, so what, tell us what's where, happening. Where is are, are you still searching for the next um, new neighborhood in DC? Where do you see how do you keep your finger on the pulse? Because yeah. Rob and I see a lot of oversaturation at this point, a little bit. Well, in some for, the first, for the first time ever, we felt that. doesn't that mean I that agree. there are not like cool yeah. areas that are still waiting for, you no, know. I, I actually agree. I think that um, yeah, a lot of people decided, oh, I'm going to open a restaurant or a bar, and that's what I should do, you know. 
as a as a job and maybe too many people decided to do that yeah um so yeah i think the competition's pretty stiff right now and, yeah um yeah i don't i don't really know i i mean i see northeast um this kind of happening in a lot of areas but um and i was very impressed with the whole 12th street that connects Rhode, Rhode Island with uh, Brooklyn. There's a yeah. lot of stuff going on. Yeah, 12th Street is cool with yeah. um, Sebastian opening mm-hmm. up Primrose, yeah, Primrose there. Yeah. yeah, And that Menomale. Yeah, Menomale. They're very awesome. Good. They're amazing. Yeah. Old Italian my, couple. Well, not my, an old Italian, a young Italian couple. Yeah, the guy I work with and do music with on the side, John Maria, he's the engineer for Thievery as well. Um, he's from Rome. So uh, he always hips me to like, what is legit Italian? Yeah, they're DC. super legit over yeah. there at Minomale. My father lives in Italy. Minomale, más o menos. Minomale means more or less. Yeah, 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 yeah. más yeah. o menos in uh-huh. Espanol. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I have the same thing with my father. He lives in Italy. Every time I bring him here, he, the, the pizza test is No, it, takes, really it, beca- it makes one. you become oh, yeah. a snob. Yeah. Not, and I don't yeah. mean that um, in a bad sense. It's just when you get exposed to the really good stuff. Yeah. Then you become yeah. a little bit more critical on the. Well, when so I imagine stuff. the life of the musician, I, I imagine a lot of traveling and touring, and you seem to be very rooted here with your label and with your restaurants. I I really don't tour anymore. I kind of made that decision about a year ago. I was dipping out of it and doing it less and less. And um, Rob, he loves touring. I mean, he just. I mean, I, I love the studio. He loves touring. And he'll say, oh, no, I love the studio, too. But, you know, anyway, we, we just agree to disagree on what we really love to do. Um, so I'm kind of a studio rat um, when it comes to music. Um, I really like that because I feel like that's the art for us. You know, right. Not the show. Touring is if, if you're a writer, it would be like going and reading your book to people. You, right. know? you want to write another book, at least for me. Yeah. You know, that's where I get really jazzed. I'm very similar the to that. Record, yeah. Know? And when I see like a stack of all the thievery CDs that we did and or the records, I'm, I just feel so proud of that. Yeah. The, the touring is a great experience, though. And I love seeing the world. I love traveling. Um, but I don't I don't typically enjoy playing our music too often. If I take a break from it for a while, I do, though. I'm the same way as far as, like, the, the, the kind of the making the actual food or making the actual music as opposed to the dog and pony trying to kind of hustle yeah. and sell that music that you just made. It's more about the the actual process of what it is is where you get the enjoyment. And I'm, yeah. I'm so, I always, every single time there is ever, and think, Thankfully, it's less and less now. But any kind of like interview or this or that, I I, I hated it. That's we're, like we're here like sitting, yeah. interviewing you. Right. right. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm trying to sell some records here. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, buy a record. <laughs> you think I want to be here? <laughs> <laughs> it's all a facade, but in the end, we like each other. So, yeah, so, so you, I was just mentioning that you're very rooted in DC, and mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, you recorded your last record in Jamaica, the Temple of I and I. Mm-hmm. So that was a change, a departure for you guys. And um, I can't even imagine, you know, recording in this paradise with, you know, a country that has an incredible music tradition. So, so can you tell me a little bit about the, how how did that go? Yeah, it was it was really cool. Um, my fiance Marcia and I wanted to take a vacation, so she had researched Jamaican uh, resorts and found G Jam, and. Um, it's really cool. It's kind of like uh, somebody described it as Robinson Crusoe meets an Apple store. So it, it feels like glamping in a way. There's like tree houses and stuff, but they have really amazing interiors. And it's a great resort, really huh. cool. And they have a studio. So while we were there, I started to hang out in the studio a little bit, met some people, met the engineer. 
uh, met Raquel Jones uh, while we were on vacation there. She <laughs> she's on a record, um, and I called Rob from Jamaica. I said, "Man, this place is pretty dope. We gotta we gotta record here," and he loved the idea. And about a month later, we were back down, um, you know, with uh, the principal band members. So Robbie Myers on guitar, Hash on bass, um, Jeff Frank on drums. We brought Puma down in case we wanted to cut some vocals, and he didn't cut one vocal. Oh, he had a good but time. He was just hanging out. Yeah. yeah, he had a great time. The beauty of being an entrepreneur, you know, you create ha. your own life. You're yeah. like, hey, let's go on vacation, yeah. but this is awesome, and let's record here. How we, long were you yeah. down there doing that? We were there 10 days, um, and we recorded so much stuff. I mean, we recorded like 30 songs. So, you know, this is a question that I wanted to ask you that kind of has, um, has something to do with being in Jamaica and making music. When you go into a studio and you go with um, or, you know, with your mates to make music and stuff, do you guys um, ever like partake, go into like an altered state of consciousness by smoking or, or, and kind of get into that free form? Because, I mean, it, it tends to loosen the reins and let a little bit. I mean, that's where all jazz comes from with the right. syncopated beat and this and that kind of it lends itself to a little bit more improv or, or ideas. Um, does well, that influence I mean, the making of your music at all? More when you're in Jamaica? For me, uh, no, not, not exactly in that way. A little bit, but no. And I also, I, I didn't smoke any weed in Jamaica at all. I'm well, just it's not, not I'm that not, good of a yeah, herb down there. <laughs> Actually, it's not you're good. right. They won't sell you the good <laughs> weed, man. That's the problem. They, they have some good weed. I'm sure, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. But I never got to but, it. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, a lot of the guys did. Um, I drank a tremendous amount of rum, actually, in the studio. There we all go. did, and that was fun. <laughs> um, but just being out of your um, typical environment and being in that environment. I yeah. mean, the studio literally has a glass window, a giant window that looks out onto the ocean. <laughs> so you're, you can see the ocean as you're recording, which is kind of amazing. Wow. And, um, yeah, it was just a great vibe, and all we wanted to play was reggae. I mean, like everything was just like, oh, reggae, reggae, reggae. There you were. You <laughs> yeah. were in I the mean, we field were in Jamaica, of reggae, so. right? Yeah. Wow. So, Eric, what's next for you? Um, what are you up to these days? Are you opening new bars or restaurants or salons? Or are you, what are you, are you recording? Are you saloons. recording other people? Yeah. Saloons. <laughs> Salon. I'm I want to see the Eric Hilton salon. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, why get not? My yeah. <laughs> you know, I always envied the salon business. I always thought, what a great business. Oh, what a great yeah. and easy, yeah. man. They fill it up. Mimosa, yeah. right over in DuPont, right next to our DuPont location. They crush right. it. Yeah, crush I see it. that. <laughs> um, we just opened this place called Gaslight Tavern um, near 930 Club. It's right near We checked Montserrat. that space out. Wait, who? Man, I'm, trying, I'm blanking on your partner's name that's in the chamber. Oh, Joe. Joe. Joe Reason. Yeah. 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 We checked that space out or right next to it. Um, yeah, that's been going great. It's a, a much more um, relaxed, kind of quiet, more adult place in that area. And we intend to keep it that way. The food is very good because Brendan from Shea Billy Suit is actually doing the food there. Um, he's got one of his right-hand men there, and he designed the menu. So it's really tasty. Um, and, yeah, there's a couple other projects we're working on, but they're not really in – they're not coming to shape just yet. Um, I'm starting to work on a lot of music again, though. Right on. What, how is the um, the Brighton down at the wharf for you guys? Is it crushing it? It's the wharf itself is just so busy. It's and, insane. And the Anthem. wharf, guys, is a project that just opened here in Washington D.C. The by Southwest the water, waterfront. Southwest waterfront, uh, where Eric has a place and we have a gelato store, and it's just 
crashing it. it I is mean, the amount of foot traffic, the foot traffic is that, very that is down yeah. there. It's, it feels like it doesn't feel like DC down there. I, you know, it, it's definitely an Insta City kind of place, but I right. happen to love that one because it really should have existed. I mean, the, the water. Again, we're finally honoring the water. You were talking my, about the ocean. My frustration with DC. I yeah. mean, once again, how long did it take to somebody to figure out that waterfront. the waterfront <laughs> is underutilized? Yeah. I mean, that's frustrating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They've done a really good job. Great job. Down there. Yeah. And it's still not even, even phase one's not fully realized. And it t- yeah. from the fish market on, and I it know. feels already with the whatever seventy five percent of phase one developed. It's pretty amazing what they've created. I, I actually just really enjoy going down there. And and Seth Hurwitz, who owns Nine Thirty and yep. IP, they and opened Anthem, the Anthem there. It's like one of my best friends. So I'm, I go to the Anthem like all the time. The it's an amazing two times music a week venue. Anthem, That's you know? awesome. One of the best uh, in the country. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, you know, every single time we every week we would have our construction meeting down there when we were building out the store, and I would always sneak out and you'd and walk go in, the in there. I did too. Every yeah. single it was time, so cool and I would come back and shape. tell everybody, yeah. "You got to go check it out." Yeah. It's like the first. The first time I went, it was that's a Roman Colosseum. Yeah, it is a. It's like with the with the stage there and the balconies going all the way up. It's amazing. And you guys played there already, right? We played there New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with Gogo Bordello, which yeah. I love. It was uh, yeah, it was a really cool show. <laughs> There's so much fun. He's yeah, insane. they are. Yeah, oh my God. yeah, he's totally insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice guy. You know, we we we've played with them a few times, and you know, he's, he's fun. I'm sure you come across a brings. lot of insane people in yeah. in the music, oh, creative, yeah. artistic world, which. Refreshing. Yeah. I mean, especially... Wayne Coyne from Flaming Lips. I mean, uh, yeah, that guy's pretty insane, too. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. You yeah. know, all the galleries of art gallery. Yeah. We we were, yeah. we were sit at the feet of um, insane people and yeah. worship what they I'm do. I'm insane. Yeah, right? <laughs> Hell yeah. Here's to insanity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Controlled insanity. Yeah. It's all a big experiment. Yeah. Well, on that note, with these two lovely insane people next to me... <laughs> boing, boing. I, I, yeah, I want to I thank you very much for talking to us. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, Eric and... Thanks, Thanks for everyone for me. listening yeah. and Thanks remember for coming on, Eric. to be kind to one another out there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>